Hello, hello, hello. This is Dr. Dula. And as usual, you know, I am always trying to um, affirm and uplift our ability to reclaim our birthrights. And I am here with a fellow uh, doula slash whatever else she does. I'm going to let her introduce herself, though. Let me tell you why I love her, though. I'm going to tell you why I, I, I wanted to interview her. Um, you know, we're always talking about um, maternal mortality amongst African-American women, women of African descent, especially in the United States. And whenever I talk to Tanisha, <laughs> whenever I talk to her, she is always, always, always just her passion and, and navigating the healthcare system has caught my attention every time I even feel inspired. And I love bringing to you all people that inspire me. And so she inspired, oh, get your face right, girl. She inspires me. And so I want to make sure, I wanted to introduce her to you all because I think she will inspire you too. So take it away, Miss Tanisha. How do you want to introduce yourself and everything else? Tell these people who you are, girl. Oh, my Lord. Well, I'm Tanisha Macklin, and I am a doula, massage therapist, and a placenta encapsulator. I'm a wife to a wonderful husband of almost 10 years this year in August, and I have my little princess, five-year-old Eliana, who is fabulous and a fashionista, and also developing her passion for birth as well. Yes. <laughs> Um, so hopefully maybe she's a, a little mini midwife or doula. And uh, and I just, I'm a very passionate person. And, and I just hope that that translates into the, the support and services that I offer to people. That's awesome. And you said you were a massage therapist as well. I am. I actually started out as a massage therapist. I've been a massage therapist now for about 15, 16 years. And that's kind of how... I stumbled into my birth work. Um, I started out as a, a massage therapist, but way, way before that, um, my mom, much like me, introduced, uh, she introduced me to birth work, but my mom was a nurse. So she didn't even realize that I come from a, a women, a family of women who are like birthdays and science geeks. Yes. Uh, so my mom, whenever she was pregnant, whenever she was in labor, it was a family affair. And so I end up walking around with her while she was in labor, hanging out with her in a bathroom when she was in a tub and on a toilet. And, uh, unfortunately ended up with the dirty job of cleaning the tub out when her, her, when she ruptured. But, <laughs> um, and then this is probably dating me, but when we were, <laughs> When I was young, we used to watch birth on PBS. Mm -hmm. They used to play full out birth on there. And we literally used to eat popcorn and drink root beer floats and watch birth. And I love, I love it. But <laughs> right, so that was like my that was our bonding moment, curled up in a dining room watching that. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then I became that go-to for friends and family. I was always the one. And it was so funny, even with my sister, when she was giving birth to my nephew, she, uh, I was asking questions and insisting that they provide certain support for my sister. And to the point where who my sister, at that time, none of us know what doulas were. My sister just broke out and was like, look, 
you need to be quiet and leave them people alone while they're working. <laughs> and I was like, they are not working. That's the problem. And yeah. so, uh, that was kind of, I guess, my intro. And then um, I taught massage for about five years. And one of my colleagues um, saw that I was running a little bit behind. Usually I would show up for work about two hours early to prep. And I came in, it was like 30 minutes to my class started. And she, she was like, why are you so late, girl? And I was like, I was with my friend. She was giving birth. And I'm just running a little behind because she wanted me to be with her. And she was like, you a doula? I was like, no, I'm not a doula. I'm like, what is a doula, first of all? <laughs> and she told me. And then that's when we found out about an organization that uh, offered birth classes in the city. I want to say it might have been like um, Chicago Connection or West Chicago Connection. I don't know. They used to do classes in a loop. And uh, we could never find a class till we stumbled across um, this uh, woman named Tigba Watley. And then we got trained by her. And then um, that was kind of our intro, both of us entering into the birth world. But I went, I just kicked the door in and kept going. I mean, I just, I love it. It's almost like I was, <laughs> it's like, I love, I don't know. It's my, um, I don't know. It's a passion of mine. It just, I, I think I go through birth withdrawals when I don't have birth for so long. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> would you call it a, would you, look, that, that sounds weird how I'm saying it. Would, do you consider it a call or is it just a hobby? What is this for you? What is birth for you? You know what? I used to really, um, I used to really be torn because I, so I came up in the church and my husband and I really, we go to church and I used to feel really bad that I wasn't active in the ministries like most people were. And I remember the elder women in our, in our church at that time was like, what, you know, what do you mean? You don't have to be active in the church to be a part of the ministry. What you're doing is ministry. She was like, you have to utter a word about God, just your presence being there. And you doing what you're doing is ministry. So, and a lot of them used to tell me that was my calling because that was my comfort zone. Um, I'm one person who I'm not very, um, I'm not very assertive. I'm not one who commands the room. I'm not one who's very confident. But you start talking to me about massage. You start talking to me about birth. You start talking to me about placenta encapsulation. And it's all, my husband was like, you become a whole nother person. Yes, he did. He was like, oh my God. He was like, and, and I've even had to be told on multiple occasions, like you can't give, every, every time you talk to somebody, you cannot give unsolicited information to them because everybody is not willing. But I will go out there and tell anybody like, oh, you should try blah, blah, blah. And he's like, everybody want to hear that because everybody not looking to have a fabulous birth and everybody is not looking for birth to be an experience. Wow. And I'm thinking like, are you kidding me? Everybody should want an experience. <laughs> You know, I, what I love about what you just said, I had an experience where a couple of years ago, um, well, I've, I've gone back and forth just because I was disillusioned by birth culture at first. I thought one thing would happen or I would see one thing and then it didn't. And I didn't see, I saw the, the strong black women that were there, but I didn't really see a space for us. Like I expected to, based on our historical context, I expected to see mm -hmm. something more than what I saw. And, um, you know, I remember when I told my dad, I was like, listen, daddy, because, you know, head of the deacon board for 40 years. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I was like, daddy, this is like, this is like the gospel to me. This is like, 
the way folks feel when they stand on corners and they like repent, you know, whatever. <laughs> you hell if you don't accept me. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that's how it feels to me. And the thing about it, I had a con was on the end of conversation. I think it had to do with people were talking about, you know, we just came out of the Christmas season. They were talking about whether um Mary had a midwife. Mm. And it someone <laughs> said, well, she probably didn't because she, you know, it was a season of blah and blah and blah and blah. And I don't know much, but I do study, I study people and their beliefs and different spiritualities and things to see how they do things. And one of the mm -hmm. things that I stated, I don't know the names of all of the things I said, well, what I know from some of my um, uh, Jewish or Hebrew Israelite friends and what I know from some of my friends who who um, practice Islam, what I know is that bringing life into the world is considered like helping God. Yeah, it's it's considered a, a holy thing, and regardless of the days that are observed and all of the different things, that is not considered breaking any of those days because. Mm -hmm. When you help a woman birth her baby and you care for her, it's mm -hmm. considered like saving a life, protecting mm -hmm. a life. And yeah. that is, that is a, that is a, to me, a call. Yeah. It, is a, it is a call. And like you said, whether, you know, the person is saying something about how they worship God or not, perhaps some people, part of their ceremony is a certain rite of passage in that mm -hmm. moment. But regardless, you know, my personal opinion is, you know, as birth workers, we are helpers of God, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, you can't, I mean, even if we just thought about half the stuff that went on uh, biblically, I mean, a lot of it is still not accurate to the extent that exactly. it doesn't translate, it doesn't translate properly. But even then, if you think back to when, um, Jesus was doing miracles and he did it on the Sabbath and they was like, hey, you can't do that. <laughs> Am I supposed to just let them die because it's the Sabbath? Like, come on. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing, but I mean, birth is just a, a miraculous thing. I mean, there's two phases in life that are the most intimate exactly. and beautiful things. That's someone exiting and this earth and there's someone entering it and even i remember my my great grandmother used to tell me she said everybody have it so wrong you don't celebrate life you mourn it because now this child is coming into this world <laughs> but you celebrate some exiting because they are no longer pressured and troubled by this world she said oh back when i was coming up it was the other one and i was like oh my gosh and i thought i was like oh my god and Every, and it's so funny, early in my career, and I just finally got it under control. I still kind of crash sometimes, but when people give birth, I'm usually having to kind of leave the room because I can't, I'm a sloppy mess. I love it. It just drives my emotions, especially just to watch these families come into their own. That is probably the most important thing. When somebody realizes, because you walk around with your big belly, you feel the baby. It's like you have phases of acknowledgement. You start recognizing that this thing is coming to fruition. You get, oh, I'm nauseous. I can't believe I'm pregnant. I'm nauseous. 
Then you go to the face like, oh, I'm a little bit bigger. Oh my God, I feel a baby. It's a baby in there. And then you have your husband or your partner who is touching it and then he's like, oh wow, this is for real. It's a real thing in there. And then there's the day that that baby is coming. And I have noticed the men and the moms, they have, they have their own level of understanding. Um, they awaken different moments. It's the moment that that baby is placed on mama's chest that she really acknowledges and accepts and receives that I'm a mother. And you can see it on her face because that's when they're all overwashed with the emotion and they're crying and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And they're, they're looking at this baby and, and here, this baby is covered in goop and, and they're like, oh my baby is so beautiful. I'm like, you don't know that. <laughs> but then, <laughs> who, I mean, to see some of these men when you see them, like they've been walking around puffed up because they got their wife pregnant, but then you see them in that room and they deflate it because they're helpless. They can't stop these contractions. They can't prevent her from being uncomfortable. They don't understand the level of support she needs. Um, and then here it is, this baby comes and their responsibility has gone from just being a husband to now a father. And that just kind of takes over them. And I've seen some of these dads walk up to me like, this is for real, Tunisia. And I'm like, Sweetie, it's been for real for 10, 10 months. And, and to see them come into that, but then at that same moment, walk right into it. And they go up to their wife and they take control of that family. And then when I tell them, all right, I'm leaving. It's time for family bonding time. And they're like, well, what do we do? You hop in that bed with your wife, get under that cover, and you cuddle your baby and your wife. There you go. Bonding time. And then they do that. And they was like, that is the most amazing thing. Like, I never expected that. Because, you know, men are not good with emotions. And that whole binding thing is such an emotional thing. And I said, let's not look at the emotion. Let's look at the hormones. Because that's really what's going on here. That's a part of the bonding. And I need everybody to get their flip switched. And um, it's, just, it's just wonderful. I mean, I don't know. And, and there's no right or wrong time to do any of that. I mean, I get it. Some cultures, the men were not allowed to be in the room with women when they're on a cycle. And they had to be out of the house and all that stuff. But um, I think it takes away from um, it takes away from the beauty when you start thinking about that stuff. And that's no disrespect to any religion. If anyone is still following some of those traditions, um, but when you think about birth, and I and it, it it pains me to know when you hear some of the older women say that their husbands couldn't be in a room with them when they gave birth and. And then you kind of almost look at some of the families back in the day when the, the dads were not connected with the kids. Well, because they never were in that same space. But I, I don't know. I went on a rant. No, you didn't go on a rant because I wanted to talk to you. Um, you know, I, the thing that I love most about you is uh, how you talk about that birthing environment. I mentioned earlier that at this juncture, uh, most most women of African descent in the United States are still birthing in the hospital setting. Here where you and I are in Illinois, um, the most recent study that was published in, in October 2018, just a couple of months ago by the state said that Black women were six times more likely to die uh, based on um, uh, th throughout that maternity year. Um, 
that year mm-hmm. after, you know, baby after the whole nine, mm-hmm. that, that we were six more times likely to die than, than white women. And also with that, that 75%, that's three out of four times, it was, me- it, they labeled it. This is what mm-hmm. they used. The term they used was medical causes. Okay, so that is a whole yeah. spectrum of things. What this I've enjoyed, would you say? No, I was saying, and, and my question is, what's their definition of medical? What is the medical cause? But yeah. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> what, I wanted to, what I wanted you to, every time I talk to you, you always talk about experiences that you've had, how you teach your, your moms or assist them in figuring out how to advocate for themselves, to find their voices, to, to say and, and feel uh, empowered in their birthing environment. And that is something that I... Um, really, really, really want to share with others. If I asked you, if I said, okay, so Tanisha, now let's just, let's see who we be talking to. I, let's just say we're talking to other doulas, other, other people that are birth support or even birth support that are not doulas, family members that want to support their family. Um, if you were going to say, okay, well, the number one thing I tell a, a family is, what would you say? Um, well, when I talk to a family, one of the things I explain to the dads is their role in the room. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of men, um, a lot of the men think that doulas are there to replace them. And I'm always there to kind of explain, no, we're, we're a team, we're partners. Um, I'm never there. I'm there to kind of help you maneuver the room, you to help me to interpret what's going on with your wife. But more importantly, to show you when to exert your your power, because the the husband is the one or the partner is the one who grounds the room. He's the one who it has the true voice in the room because you know what the doulas every by law technically we we don't have a word we're not clinicians so we're not really supposed to be saying very much um in most capacities but um i tell i, I tell the dads like if you see something you always have there's several questions you can ask but number one is it medically necessary and number two can we have time alone and three can you please give my wife space and never be afraid to say those things. And then um, always tell the mom to never be afraid to, uh, to speak up. She has a voice and she has requests. And not only that, she has rights. And understand your rights so when you speak, you speak with power and authority. And, and I tell this to every woman because a lot of times, and it drives me absolutely nuts when you hear people say somebody let you do something. And when I tell these moms, like, nobody's going to let you do anything in that room. You're going to have to do it. You want to get birth on your knees? You get birth on your knees. You want to do hands and knees in the bed? You want to lay on your yoga ball? You want to sit on the toilet? I don't care what you want to do. We can do it because it's not causing any harm to anybody. Now, the doctor is not comfortable. That's the problem. But we're okay. Let's do what we're supposed to do. What are you comfortable with doing? And so I tell them to stay in their comfort zone, know their space, Yes. Yeah. So you saying that and everything, but when I went and you know my doctor was like, no, and you can't do that, and you, you, you can't. 
I want to birth like this. And they was like, no. And then I had heard this girl <laughs> that said that her doctor was like, if you do that, your baby going to die. And, and that they, they, you know, you, you know, you talking about if I want to birth on my hands and knees, they told me I couldn't even get out of my bed. Let me just play devil's advocate here. All these things that they tell people, no, you have to stay in your bed. How, you know, because you and I discussed even when we were, um, when we were, uh, um, uh, first like training with different organizations and learning about things that it was always like okay well if you would prefer to be able to be more mobile you know see if they'll give you instead of the IV they'll give you the headlock or see mm -hmm. if they'll let you see what I'm saying see if they'll let you yeah. see if they'll have you yeah um early in my career I didn't know any better and I went along with that compromise thing as well. But um, the, when it comes to one thing that bothers me, there is no, it depends. Well, first it depends on the personality of the mother. I would go with that because sometimes a lot of the moms are compliant and they don't want any trouble because they're afraid, they're afraid that they're going to have diminished care at that point. Once they start to speak up and do stuff, they don't want to, uh, have diminished care. So I let them know, I'm like, look, you give me the power you want me to have. And then when you're ready for me to be quiet, I'll stand down. But um, for the most part, if you're telling me that you don't want IVs and that you don't want to be on your back and that you don't want to do certain things, understand that that's what I'm going to push for. But at the same time, you have to understand that when I start pushing, for these things you can't give you can't cave because they're going to say things and it's not okay um and one thing i say is so in my career i've encountered many people in my birthing um in my growth in the birthing journey and i've come across um one midwife that i first encountered was christine Oser. she's no longer in illinois she went to wisconsin um, and she gave me my opportunity to do my first set of births, and they were all home births, and they were phenomenal. But the people who've been the most impactful to me as far as, like, really giving me knowledge and understanding on not just the mom's rights, but the options that they have, have been um, two other midwives. And, I remember, and they, spoke with, they spoke with such passion about me um, not falling for a lot of that stuff when they try to bully you into um, not doing certain things in a, in a birthing room. But um, there's okay, a woman. To, so talk to us about some of those. Like, what does that mean when you say, I mean, how, how does a person or a person that, I mean, cause we, we've also talked about, you know, the sacredness, this, this, the, how sacred the space is. We've talked about mm -hmm. how birth is, you know, in the most respected, you know, as I interview people, um, women from Africa, every indigenous culture recognizes mm -hmm. that this is a portal and it is like yeah. the portal between life and death. So, you know, how does a person practically know if I want to say, hey, I want to do this, that it is not in some kind of way compromising um, their um, safety, their health? How does a person make those decisions and assert themselves? Um, in that environment from your experiences? From my experience, um, 
when I always tell moms to follow their intuition, you know, um, and never question that. But also you have to have a voice. You have to ask them like, hey, is that medically necessary? Why can't I be on my back? Um, one thing that I've always pushed is if you try to tell me that it's necessary to like the big thing now is breaking the amniotic sac, rupturing the sac early. They're quick to do that because mom's not progressing fast enough. This will help her progress. Um, and, and, that, and my thing is, okay, how about we change a few positions, make her do you know, a little stuff. And I try to make sure that when a, when a physician is saying something in regards to maybe rupturing a sac or starting pit or um, making mom lay down or do some kind of position um, that we both acknowledge doesn't work, uh, what I usually tell the mom, and I'll first ask mom, like, are you comfortable with that? How do you feel with that? And then um, if she's not okay with it or anything, then I'll just tell her, I say, hey, and I'll ask the physician and I'll directly address them help out, you give us a little while to work on this and then let what your, your request is be like our last resort because we're trying to accomplish this type of birth. And, mm -hmm. and, just, and just to make a point about that, you know, what a lot of moms don't know, and not in all hospitals and not in all settings, but once you rupture the bag, in the bag of waters in a hospital setting, um, most often, um, many of the hospitals have a clock. It's like, we're only going to allow you to have yeah. to, be, to be in this hospital for, I don't know. I know at one point it was like 12 hours before mm -hmm. we decide, you know, something more progressive needs to happen. And so any intervention, um, and especially that one, because they do mark like, okay, we ruptured her bag of waters at 8 a.m. And you're not going to be there for the next two days. So I'll just put it that way. You, you're not going to be there waiting for it to progress for the next two days because that particular intervention is a signal that, okay, we need this to progress. We think this is one of the ways it'll progress more. But if this doesn't, now we're saying, oh, now that they would say, you know, um, we want to be careful about infection. You know, we want to be mm. careful about whatever. And so it could lead to other in interventions. So that's why what you're saying is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they don't, they don't realize and I let them know. And I try to head a lot of that stuff off at the past. Because when you start to see people laboring at a, at a certain pace, you can kind of start picking up once you've been in some of these hospitals they don't really change their tactics. They don't really, they start to send a nurse in a little more frequently. And then you're like, all right, she don't, she's coming here like three times within the hour. So they're watching you to see how you're progressing. Okay, so this is what they're gonna do. They're gonna come in next and suggest to rupture your sack. It's up to you what you wanna do. I explained to her what that experience is. It looks like a big crochet needle. They'll rupture you, but once you do that, like you said, that clock starts. Now, once they do that, they're going to really be watching. You do not have to have your sac ruptured. You don't have to stay on your back. You don't have to do anything. If you are fine, baby is fine, and they are not um, insisting that something else is going on, we could keep moving in our natural process. And it is just one of those things is like, a lot of people don't know that because, again, the nurse will come in and be like, all right, well, the doctors don't want to come in and rupture your amniotic sac. And they speak with such confidence that, about 
This is nonsense. This is, and I'm like, <laughs> that's what I was about to say. It's not like, hey, mom, um, we want to do this. Are you okay with that? It's not that. It's okay. So this mm. is what's about to happen. This is about, yeah. and we have to be just as. I love what you keep saying, and I love to ask you five different ways because you keep saying, "Is it medically necessary?" Yeah. And go ahead. The biggest thing because a lot of times we have to realize some of these hospitals, and, and I hate to say it, and there's a couple hospitals I hate to go in, but as I've matured and grown, I've realized I can't keep hiding from this hospital. And it must be a reason why I keep going there. Because though I remember I remember my first experience at, at this one particular hospital that has like a not so hot reputation. If and, and it's known everywhere if you want to have a natural birth don't go there and I remember thinking like oh shoot I really like this family but I don't want to go to this hospital and and I remember being so traumatized and being in my car crying realizing they violated every right and what I need to explain to people is in most of these hospitals and I understand the numbers we women black women women of color we are dying and they don't care if you have money or not. They don't care what your job title is. They don't care who your mother and father is. They don't care how beautiful you are. They don't care how much you speak. If you blog or blog, they don't care. Their agenda is to get your baby out as fast as possible and get you out because they need a bed available. And that's because most of these hospitals have so many people counting on them because they have so much money coming in. Not to mention, depending on if this hospital has political influences that come through there. So you have to be careful. You have to understand and you have to know your rights. Know that if you are not comfortable with something, you have a voice. You say the word no. Even if you think that they're going to tell you something or they're going to treat you worse. It doesn't matter. It can't get no worse than being dead. So you have to tell people no and understand that they are violating your rights. Not just your legal rights, but your human rights. You have to understand you have rights on multiple levels. And we, has, we have to speak up and tell them. Is, is that ask them. If you don't have a doula as support, but you have support in that room, you have to explain to them. You have to not only be authoritative in that room, you have to enforce what you say, and you have to be ready for anything because these doctors will pull it and the nurses will support it, and they come in with such confidence, and they make you believe what they're saying is true. And I've literally watched physicians and nurses come in sounding so genuine and sweet, and they just really care for you. But I need to give you Pitocin because you've been laboring too long and it's just not working. So how about we just give your body just a little bit of help. We'll just put it on one. And we'll just try to get your labor going. And then we'll take you off of But then you come in and you see the nurse tick, tick, ticking on that number. And now you're trying to figure out why I'm on four. You said I'll be on one. And so they don't... They, I'm not going to say that none of them care, but their agenda is definitely not as genuine as we would like. And we have to realize when you deal with hospitals, it is not about our health. 
It is not about any of that. It is literally about money. Hospitals are the biggest money-making machine you can come across because people coming through there all day, every day, all hours of night, they never close. And so birth don't ever stop. So what better way? So we have to learn to protect ourselves, especially saying medically necessary, because they can't lie to you and say it's medically necessary if it's not, because then now that's a lawsuit. So if you understand that there are only, um, there are certain reasons that they can do certain things. Once you've understood that, then you understand it all. Basically in the room, knowing that they can't just do, they can't push your like babies. No, babies heart rate been consistent. Babies okay, I'm okay, my blood pressure's fine. And those are some of the main reasons. I mean, there are other things to go off of, but my biggest thing is babies happy, mommy's happy, we're good. You don't need to do anything. Have you I mean. Have you ever been in a situation where you heard a doctor tell a mother, okay, if you, and it could be anything because it's, it's as simple as saying, um, I want to lay, um, I want to walk around or whatever. Oh, well, we can't, um, monitor you if you walk around, uh, oh, yeah. and we don't want your baby to die. You know, have you ever, have you ever heard anyone say it or, or so come, you don't want to hurt your baby you don't want to harm your baby. Have you ever heard that? And if so, how have you helped moms uh, navigate that and so on? So I have heard some staff say that they couldn't walk around because they ruptured. Okay. So their amniotic sac ruptured. So they didn't want them walking around. And, um, and I go through this whole battle with, I mean, unless... There's no way, I can't say that it's never happened, but I've never seen a baby just fall out of a vagina without a mama knowing it's coming. So um, I didn't understand, I just, I never understood that. I mean, it's always a, a battle with them. No, um, oh, we need her to stay in her room. Well, why does she need to stay in her room? Okay, well, you want her to stay in the room, but she's not getting in the bed. We'll stay in the room. She can walk in her room. We'll dance. We'll do whatever we need to do. But I don't understand why we can't come out of the room. We're into the hallway. Oh, no, we can't come out. And she can't walk around because um, we don't want her to have a spontaneous birth. Or we don't want her to um, do, I don't know. They have some ridiculous stuff. Um, and what people need to understand, policy and procedure is not law. You, the patient, are not bound by that. That is for the staff. Okay, so. Talk about that a little bit because when a person, you know, signs, um, you know, not as, not as much as for a procedure like an epidural or something, but when they go to that hospital, they have to sign paperwork mm -hmm. and it releases them to do certain mm -hmm. things. How do you distinguish between mm -hmm. what that sign in that paper and, 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 um, why can't I think of the word? Words have left me. When you go admitted, when you're admitted into the hospital, that's the word. How have you distinguished between what is um, what that what that being admitted in that hospital allows the the what you're agreeing to is what I'm saying. How do you distinguish between what I'm agreeing to when I'm admitted into this hospital versus what I am would still need to approve of and can say no to? Because for many, it's like, no, you came here 
you agreed to this, blah, 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 you know? How right. do you distinguish between that? Um, but even if you do stuff, but that's the thing, a lot of these papers, they, they shuffle these papers and I tell people don't, you have to be careful. I mean, if you're gonna sign it, sign it because you wanna be compliant, that's completely up to you. But even if you sign that paper, you can still say no. You can still, you can refuse anything, again, if it is not medically necessary. If you're telling me you want me to have a cesarean because I've been laboring too long, but I don't have any signs of infection, my blood pressure is totally fine and baby is doing wonderful, I don't understand why am I going in for a cesarean. And um, they typically will tell you, oh, because well, if you labor too much longer, you can get an infection. And they don't, the moms don't sign, typically sign those papers because, of course, they do it all with such confidence. They bring the papers in, they had a pen ready for you, and they start talking to you about what's going on. And then they hand you this clipboard with all this stuff. That's, yep. And I tell the moms, I was like, you know, don't, ask, you need to ask questions. Well, how much longer will you allow me to labor before we have to do this? And it's so funny. And they're, you kind of almost have to give them the illusion that they do have power to kind of find out what the all the motive is behind what they're doing and i mean it's sad a lot of the moms um don't realize i mean they'll tell you oh, i labored 12 hours and i never progressed oh did you move did the did the nurse give you any suggestions um did you get out of bed and walk around did you take a shower like what did you do oh no i mean they, i laid in the bed they had me monitoring i was on ivs so they let you labor 12 hours on your back and you didn't move and i'm like well no and and you can't i don't ever want to take away from anyone's experience no matter what their birth experience is but in my mind i'm thinking oh my god some people stole that woman first they literally stole her birth right from under her. And that's not an experience when you never give a person a chance. And um, so I tell um, moms, like, be careful with the paperwork you sign. Make sure you read it. If you're not reading it, when you're in labor, you can't do anything. And I tell the husbands, they have all the responsibility. When they walk through the door, you need to know your wife's social security number and birth date. And you need to be able to read all paper, even though she needs to sign it, you need to read it. And you need to know what you're dealing with. And you need to ask people, what is this paper? What is this paper? Because it's basically admin stuff when you first come in, but you still need to be careful because they always tell you, oh, in case of an emergency, okay. we need to sign this right now. And um, and you can always say, oh, we'll hold off on that because you don't want them to come. I mean, if it's not an emergency, you're always giving them the okay to whisk you all. And my thing is, you are trained professionals. You've done things in shorter mm -hmm. periods of time. You mean to tell me that um, me not signing this piece of paper right now is going to hinder your whole thing? I mean, that's just a part, again, it's their, their procedures. They like to do that kind of stuff and never take it into account of us. And I just, I don't understand that, but, um, and maybe some of these hospitals will start doing better in that sense, but these families, they have to understand. You said something to me, we were talking about this. You were saying something that you had heard about um, from an attorney. What did you hear, you, you mentioned yeah, so I was watching, I was listening to some podcasts, and I, I swear that woman gave me power. Um, 
when she was explaining how we have to understand what our rights are um and then you can say no to anything um it is your right to they don't allow you they don't uh, let you do anything you're an adult you're a woman and you can make your own choices um, so you say no when you're not comfortable with something. And like I was saying, you don't worry about what diminished care you're going to get afterward. I mean, they're professionals. They shouldn't be changing a level of care. And actually, if you're challenging them, they should be given better care because you are challenging them and making them think more. But you cannot make someone do something. For instance, IVs. And I learned this from um, one of my girlfriends, Chanel, she's a midwife, she's in California now, but her and my other girlfriend, Lakita, they both told me, that's a violation of your rights, girl, don't you let anybody put nothing in you if you don't want it, and I thought, oh my God, it, it didn't resonate with me, um, because like I say, early in my career, let's compromise, see if they'll compromise and do the help lot. And uh, and then when I learned, there is no compromising on that. You don't feel comfortable. Who wants to walk around with a needle in their arm? Nobody wants to do that. And so when I uh, when I learned that, and when I saw that you can go places and they don't even bother you about um, IVs or Heplock, I thought this is amazing. This is amazing. And then when I saw that it is possible, I made that one of the things that I asked the families that I how are you with IVs? How are you with this? You know, I go through a checklist. What are some of your things that you don't want to be bothered with? And if they say they don't want to do IVs and they don't want to do a Heplot, got it. And then that's my thing. We're no IV and no Heplot. And in a lot of these hospitals, they'll tell you, oh, well, you have to have a Heplot. No, we don't have to have a Heplot. You wanted to have a Heplot. And um, we, and we go back and forth about that. And it takes a while and finally they'll come back in. All right. You know, they have an attitude, no, but um, it, it's hilarious. And it's very few times if I leave the room, sometimes I hate going to the bathroom because I leave the bathroom, I come back and stuff always change. You come back and they put the clock in. And you're like, are you kidding me? We just had an hour's conversation about this. Um, but again, they violated our rights. They probably came in and bullied and the women don't ever want to tell me what was said because they know I'm about to tear the building down. And and my thing is, I'm surprised some of these hospitals even let, even still let me in, because I ask a lot of questions and I want to know why are you doing it and what's going on. I mean, some of these positions are so ridiculous. I mean, I tell people all the time, give birth with midwives. OBs are trained surgeons. That is the that is what they train to do. A lot of these OBs they do births because that's what they you know they do women's health, but they are not, their business is not birth. You need to be somewhere where they know your body and understand your makeup and then they can help you in the actual experience you're trying to have. Because no, we don't care. They don't care nothing about it. Come on, lay on your back. Lay on my back. I'm, that's not working. And I'm so tired of having that dispute with people. So I love, I love what you, I love everything that you said, um, especially with as we mentioned before, you know, black women in every state, in every place mm -hmm. in the United States dealing with so much. I think the thing that I've taken away the most is the whole concept of, you know, well, I remember people used to say the right of refusal, you know, you get to refuse this or you mm -hmm. get to 
Yeah, you get the right to refuse. And but just even if it's just the the point that you slow it down, like my husband plays basketball, and when things start going like this, you know, and the ball is going down the court, mm-hmm. and then sometimes they would just have somebody slow the game down, slow the game down, so I can ask the questions I need to ask. And especially if it's something that's not medically necessary, that's not been deemed medically necessary, what I hear you saying is, slow them down, ask them the questions, make them explain mm-hmm. it to you. Um, yeah. and, and then what does that mean? And, and asking other questions. Um, I want to know, as we wrap this all up, <laughs> where do you see yourself five or 10 years? How do you see yourself uh, changing or growing in birth or anything like that? Where do you see yourself? You know, I think that's that's an awesome question. Um, I actually am um, looking to expand my practice and being a doula where I want to give total care to women. So one of my goals is not just supporting them in the labor and birth arena, but um, postpartum is a big thing. I watched my mom battle postpartum um, depression after giving birth to my brothers. And so I, that's been one of my things that I'm putting together and I'm hoping that I can perfect it. I have a postpartum plan that I put together for families nice. and I want to integrate nutrition and herbal support and I want to provide all that. And so one of my things is I'm looking to expand and start offering teas, tinctures, tonics, salves, and, um, and start helping them prepare, not just for um, the birth, but their postpartum part of life. I mean, that's a huge thing. And one of my passions is family because it takes the two of this, the husband and wife that makes the baby. And it also takes the husband and wife to um, raise the child. And if you're not a cohesive um, group, then it's not going to work. And so um, I love to, a part of my postpartum plan is expanding and expounding on the, the, the relationship. So um, hoping, Lord willing, I will have a studio and I will be able to do sections where parents can work on communication and relationship. And then I can start having my herbal aspect of the business. I do want to expound on that. Um, and then just learning more about birth. Um, and I don't know, you never know in the future, I might be catching babies. I would absolutely love it. Um, but right now, (laughs) but right now I just want to be able to support the woman as a whole, you know, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, in every aspect. And so that it can help her to go great, become great past the birthing room. And so you mentioned mentioned your, um, your daughter before, Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest things for me, one of the things that, um, in that regard of, of the whole woman and everything, you know, some people have partners, some people don't have partners. And one of the things that I do specifically, um, through my Sankofa birth ambassador workshops is try to equip people, like you said, this holistic thing. Um, I believe that well, first of all, it's not even I believe. I know that in indigenous mm-hmm. cultures, women were not intended to take care of themselves. And yet we leave women off mm-hmm. to themselves and we learn for whatever reason, you know, it's like, no, I got to get myself together. Yes, you do. But you don't have to do that alone. 
most people see that as a very vulnerable mm-hmm. time for women in a time mm-hmm. where, um, well, I won't say most people, I will say in many indigenous cultures, that postpartum time is seen as a time where the mother needs to be mur- nurtured, you know, so that she can nurture her baby. And, mm-hmm. we all, you know, Western culture does not focus on that. And I do believe that um, I'm not, I'm, it's not my area of expertise, but I do believe that it is influencing postpartum depression. You know, that solitude, you would be, you, there of course are cultures that do everything, but you would be hard pressed to find a culture where mm-hmm. women are left alone after birth. And of course, we mm-hmm. know that in the United States, you know, there is no universal maternity care, you know, time for, um, what am I saying? The word um, after, you, uh, uh, bah, 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 I lost my words again. Um, maternity leave, thank you. Mm-hmm. Maternity leave, we don't have that. So you have moms that have to get right back to work. You know, mm-hmm. it, and, and they're not, and, and there are all these things that influence that. But your daughter, um, one of the biggest things that I believe that can help what's happening with, with Black women is for us to return to what kept us during mm-hmm. some of the most outrageous times in our history, during um, times when African women were enslaved in this country, during Jim Crow and segregation. Um, after segregation, when we were integrated, we assimilated into doing things a different way. But with all that other time, we were taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other. We were saving ourselves. We were healing ourselves. We knew how to do it. So when I hear you talk about your daughter and I hear about you mm-hmm. and how you are preparing her and you told me the story, <laughs> she said, I want to see my, you know, can I see me? You know, can I see the baby? Yeah. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged when I hear you talk about how you and your family have, have you know, watched um, birth, you know, used to watch, watch that because I believe that, you know, now when a woman reaches time where she wants to have a baby, she can be 30 years old, have never been in a birthing room, doesn't know anything about the sights, the smells, all the mm-hmm. senses, what it feels like or anything and is walking into it for the first time. But in more indigenous cultures, the likelihood of a young lady not having ever been around birth would be quite less or having some knowledge of something. So your daughter and how, mm-hmm. so the question is your daughter, how yeah. has what I love, I just, I love hearing you talk about her and how you are interacting with her about birth. And to me, yeah. it's the most beautiful, empowering thing. But then also how has this impacted your family, your daughter, your your husband, how does this, what you do and how you are, how is it impacting and, and affecting everything? Well, I can say my family, they're my team. They're my village. They support me um, through this. But my baby girl, <laughs> she um, she loves birth. And it's, it's just probably the most fantastic thing to be able to come in and she wakes up in the middle of the night to ask me how was the birth and how was the mommy um but ever since she could probably talk and work a phone she's always asked she used to ask me all the time can i see my birth mommy can i see me 
And she'd watch the video of uh, the birth. And I remember she would always say, mommy, I'm so sorry I made you bleed. <laughs> and so we would go over that whole thing. And, and she understands labor and birth. And she is so hilarious. Um, breastfeeding, I breastfed her till she was two and a half. And so I remember I have a picture of her. I'm going to have to send it to you. I have a picture of her breastfeeding her baby doll. I have a picture of her showing me how she want to give birth. Now, my little girl at that time was probably two and a half, and she was standing up, and she had a baby doll between her legs. I'm like, what are you doing? And the funny thing is she did it right. The baby's head was coming out back behind her. And so I'm like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, this is how I'm going to give birth. I'm going to give birth standing up, mama. And I'm like, are you? And I'm like, what? And my husband was like, see what you did? <laughs> but, <laughs> he said, now she gonna go out there giving them hospitals problems. He said, I don't think she's gonna go in the hospital. I say, she probably won't give birth in the hospital. My baby girl is probably gonna be one of the crunchiest little girls ever. She, she a little girl, she cut herself. Mommy, can I have some aloe vera? She is just, she's like, I don't feel my good, mommy. Can I have some tea? And she's just awesome in that way. But she loves Birth. She loves to watch, look at the pictures after um after I come home to see how mommy's did. And she's like, oh my God, that baby sounds strong, mommy. And so she loves to see and experience that kind of stuff. And I love it. I mean, her passion is so awesome. Her passion is so, her pet, you can leave it there. Just put it down. You can, um, I'm sorry, that's a male person. You can, um, you can really just, um, see her passion and her drive for it. And she loves it. She absolutely loves it. My husband, he's very supportive of it. He's always been supportive of it. He hates when I'm gone for long periods of time, but he loves it. I mean, my support team, my mom, she was like, if I wasn't old, girl, I'd be right there with you. She loves, she still loves birth. She was in the room with me. I wasn't nice to her, though, but she was in the room with me when I was, um, when I was giving birth. And, and to speak back to the, um, the indigenous cultures and the people getting away from the thing, one thing my mom did was she was like a huge support person for me after I gave birth. And that's why I want to create total wellness. That's why I'm going to create total wellness for people. Um, because I watched my mom and my grandmother. I had, so I was blessed. I had my grandmother and my great grandmother. Um, and I watched them be my mom's village. And, um, and that's why I tell, I even did a blog about it. Um, it takes a village. And it does. It takes a village. You can't get through it. And it's a shame. I tell people all the time, after you've given birth, everybody's through with the stuff in, a, in two weeks and it's crickets. We don't have anybody. That's why I do the postpartum training. But um, my daughter, even with me, she will help if I, um, I had a girlfriend who just gave birth and my daughter was so excited to help me um, do stuff for my friend after she gave birth. And my friend who... She's not of color, but I love the pieces. And she was shocked that I brought her food. She was shocked that I um, came and asked her, how can I help you? And it's like, nobody is doing that. Nobody cares. People come in and sit down. They want to hold your baby. They don't ask me anything about you. And I've watched it happen. They have not a question. Oh, the baby's so cute. It's always about the baby. Exactly. You didn't ask, do you need an ice pack exactly. for your vagina? 
Are you still bleeding? When's the yeah. last time you went to the doctor? How do you feel? Do you need me to help you clean? Can you lift the baby? How do you feel? Nobody's asking those questions. Do you need me to do some meals for you? I just don't get it. And I didn't have to do anything. I remember after giving birth, my mother came into the house and was, hey, where's your grocery list? And she and my husband took that grocery list and went and bought a month's worth of food. She came over and cooked food for me. She cleaned my house. And she was like, do you need me to spend the night or stay? Or is everything okay? I could just keep, I could come over every week and help you. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. It's totally different. It's the reason why over the years that I have been doing doula work, I've fully, like, I love postpartum work. I do because I do hands-on stuff with the mom, mm -hmm. but also because I find that they're not going to ask. And, and what we've become accustomed to is performing. And so it's like, oh, someone wants to come over. I need to sit up and show you the baby. And the mom that's in postpartum doesn't need to be sitting up and cleaning and straightening up for you. We no. focus a lot, which is not bad, on the baby, but not on the mom. And that's a, a big deal. So this is my last question. And then I'm going to ask you to give people your information. Um, I know you have a passion um, for black women, women of color. Um, you told me once that your husband helped you deal with the whole thing of getting paid or not getting paid. What would, yeah. What would you say to a young doula or to a mom or to anybody who is like, I don't know. I mean, black women, you know, people deserve this and people need this. You know, how have you navigated whether you should get paid or not? Um, how much you get paid or not? How, how have you dealt with that? Oh, I was so torn. So early in my career, when I first started, um, I was advised to, to get, to get your first three births, do it free or discount it. And I did that. And then I had such a problem with charging people money for my services. And I started out doing a $300 thing, a $500 thing. And I remember um, at first it wasn't a big problem. My husband was like kind of not really okay with it, but he voiced it when I was gone for more than 20 hours, how he was upset that I, the, the money that I got paid was less than $10 an hour and I was gone more than 20 hours from my family. And um, he wasn't okay with that. And he told me, and I'll never forget this. He was like, you consider me your business manager. You do not leave this house for pennies. And he told me that I needed to make sure I got my worth. Because every time I leave the house to go be with a birth, um, I'm leaving my family. And I had a small girl. I, my daughter was not, not very old. I think I took a break. And she, she was probably like six months. Um, and I was leaving him. And um, he was like, I didn't, you know, he was like, I appreciate what you do and I love it and it's a passion and I never make it stop. But he said, if you don't make any money off this, you don't have to go back to work. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and, um, but he told me, he said, you can't leave the house for nothing. And so my thing is, you do what's best for your family. Um, my husband is not okay with me doing uh, community service at no cost. He's not okay with me leaving for discounted rates because at the end of the day he was like your income is what contributes to the upkeep of this family in this household 
And so when you think about my daughter had tuition, we had car notes and we had bills. And my husband was like, uh-uh, I'm sorry. Maybe when you have start feeling like you want to charge more, you can do, you know, you can make more, then you can go ahead and start to offer free services periodically. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, but he's not okay with it. And I have to respect my husband for that. And I can't go against him because I mean, at the end of the day, when I leave your birth, you go to your cushy family. I have to go home and look at my husband. So I need to respect and honor him and his request. Um, but if that's your thing and doula, a community doula work is what you want to do, you don't let anybody hinder you. But if it's your family that's on the line, you do what's best for your family. But you always follow your heart to the degree it's respectful for everybody that's a part of your life. Um, and, yeah, and don't let anybody um, discourage you. Whatever your passion is, you go for it. The birthing community is so vast. Yes. There's so many aspects of it. And you never be... I mean, this price gouging and this comp competitors, they're no competitors. Our goal is all the same. We are trying to create a beautiful landscape for birth for women to have these babies experiencing and not having procedures. And so um, we all should be working together. I mean, I love it when other doulas are asking for backups and, you know, and, and they don't have a problem with you working with their client because they're not concerned that it'll be another baby born. Um, so for the young doulas, you do, you do what your heart has you set to do. And if you're going into it to do community work, it's needed. And you do it because there are young ladies out here who have no clue what they're getting into, getting ready to have these babies because the staff is not going to protect them. So they do need protection. And there's childbirth education, there's placenta encapsulation. There is all forms of birth support. I mean, even I heard you say you did virtual support. I, my God. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll be at the concert. Oh, maybe mom and labor, I'm outside while my baby playing his little heart out. Outside. Yes, outside, you know, and it's like, um, we have to, and there's traveling doulas. If you feel like there's no room for you in Illinois, then you can start soliciting yourself to another state. And if they want to pay for you to come out, you pay, they'll pay for you to come out. But my, my thing is you don't be afraid to charge your work. Um, and don't be afraid to offer your services at no cost. It is up to you, but do not offer your services at no cost because you're afraid that they won't pay your work. That is the biggest thing um, because anybody will take anything free. I'm not a fan of free stuff because usually you get what you pay for. And if you pay nothing for it, you typically get nothing. Um, but me being a person I was out there doing free births, Lord help me. I did too. Um, and got, it's, I, I have been laying on the bed, fully clothed, laying mm -hmm. on the couch waiting for a call well, that yeah. didn't come because you had they hadn't invested in it so mm -hmm. i had canceled stuff with my family i had done all these things and then they had just decided mm -hmm. oh we'll go on our own and now i missed a whole day texting mm -hmm. no Good response time. and the next text mm -hmm. i get is oh so and so was born at this time wait mm -hmm. this amount and and you sit and like wait a minute really that's what but, we're doing. And my thing is, I'm an all-in kind of doula. I'm that I'm the doula that's standing on the bed, hip sifting. I'm that doula that's sitting on the floor, 
putting pressure on you while you on the toilet. I'm the one who is, I mean, if you poop and there's not a staff around, I wipe your bottom. Exactly. I mean, I'm all in, doula. Standing, standing in the shower. Every time I stand yeah. in the shower. Because mama, it felt good to mama. And that's yeah. okay. We standing in yeah. the shower. <laughs> the stuff that we do, socks be wet because the yeah. shower floor, you know, and I can't, um, I, I can no longer um, disrespect my family by doing it. Knowing, and then I come home and I'm exhausted and I can't even keep my plans because I'm exhausted because I've done so much with this other family. And that's what my husband, my husband knows. He, he knows I'm a, a 100%. I can't do anything under 100%. So if I've given them 100% and I come home, I can't give them 100%. My tank is empty. And you have no compensation to yeah. even work from to say, well, I picked this up from the store because I'm tired. And normally yeah. I would fix this or do that, but whatever. So yeah. I want to first say you're amazing because you know that. But I want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. Um, I wanted I wanted people to hear you speak. I think it's important that more and more women of African descent see women of African descent. Representation is very important. And to know that there are, you know, there are often stories about we're not there, you know, people aren't there and, and everything else. But, you know, here there are black women that are doing this work. You asked me yesterday, you always helping other people to interview another people. You know, <laughs> it's because, you know, listen. We hey, you know, click with who you're gonna click with. We have a Tunisia, we have a Dr. Dula, we got people all over the place. And mm -hmm. find who's gonna work for you because I said it before, I'll say it again. It is a state of emergency for black women. Where else could this happen where we die and we weren't dying like this 60, 70 years ago when we weren't in your system? So where mm -hmm. else did this happen? So it is my privilege to bring people to bring you to people but so they can hear you but i want you to tell them how can they get in touch with you um so you can find me on the internet um my website is peacefulbirthingdoula.com um i also have a blog peacefulbirthingdoulaservices.blogspot and um or you can call me 630-481-6079 i'm on Facebook, so you know you can Facebook me um, at Peaceful Birthing Doula. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all that stuff. <laughs> well, I will make sure that I put all of this in the video under the video around the video so that they can see it, so that they can know. And I just want to encourage Black women. Thank goodness for technology. You know, a lot of things we have gone without because we couldn't get in contact with people. But yeah. you know, I don't know if you have consulting. See if she'll she'll do some consulting for you with you. See if she'll encourage you know, reach out to her. See what she's willing, what she's able to do to help you build up who you are. We, I always say it, and I'm gonna say it again. We have always helped ourselves, healed ourselves, so that we could save ourselves. Black yeah. women, we are here. You, I love you, love you, love you because you are doing the work. And you are out there empowering moms every day. And I want to be a part of helping others see that we can do this. We can, we can pick, we can do what our ancestral mothers, what our grandmothers and great-grandmothers have always done. 
we can do that. Yeah. So. And we, yes. And we have to really realize is we will one day be the elders. Exactly. We are the next up and coming elders. And it is the job of the elders to prepare the youth. And so we have a great responsibility coming. Exactly. So, yeah. So I love you, sis. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I've been saying I'm going to interview you. I'm going to interview you. I appreciate you allowing me on your platform. Girl, yeah, of course. You're doing, you the bomb.com to me, girl. Thank you to, <laughs> thank you to everybody who has uh, viewed this or listened to the audio. Please reach out to Tunisia if you feel like there's something that um, you'd like to talk to her about. Reach out to her, okay? See you guys mm -hmm. later, and thank you for being with me, Dr. Duna.